With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How can you literally take this, like, Vidal Sassoon asymmetrical mullet short Filipino alto? (laughs) I was, like, (laughs) nodding until you said alto, and it was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) At your your sickest, lowest day, you were a mezzo. How dare you? Uh, But... (laughs) Who's there? You Made Me Queer. Hi, it's You Made Me Queer and I'm your host, Trevor Campbell. You Made Me Queer is the show where queer people get to finally step up to the mic and lay the blame for who and or what made us queer. It is juicy and it is vengeful. And those are two of my favorite adjectives. Hi again. It's been a whole week since our last episode. We are now doing Thursday episodes, so once a week. And oh my god, it is good to see you. How you've grown. You look different. Is it a new hairstyle? Wait, what's that on your arm? Is that a tattoo? Is that a tattoo? You walk into my house with a tattoo. Just kidding. Listen, it's fine. It's beautiful. I too love fireflies. Okay, so this is our eighth episode, and I have a very special guest today that I'm very excited about. Someone I've known for a very long time. Today, my guest is Jay Magus. I've known Jay for about 20 years, and the first time I heard Jay's voice, it was just so obvious that he was going to be a star. He's just magic on stage. Magic. And he may kill me for saying this, but before I met Jay, I knew of Jay because in 2002, he was on the second season of Pop Stars, which was Canada's precursor to American Idol, uh, in which he had what I would call the kind of mohawk that could cut glass. Uh, But since then, Jay has built a really incredible career in film and theater, including Here Lies Love at the Public, which is a musical written by David Byrne and Fatboy Slim about Imelda Marcos. Go figure. Uh, Jay was in the first national tour of La Cage aux Folles, also known as The Birdcage. The film Servitude, and most recently, Moulin Rouge on Broadway, where Jay originated the role of Baby Doll, a fierce little drag performer who sings Lady Marmalade. Yeah, Jay... Jay was singing Lady Marmalade on freaking Broadway. Jay is hilarious. He is a superstar, no question. He had uh, very iconic 
sense of fashion the whole time I knew him, with highlights including a, a very cute little sort of majorette, sweet charity jacket that he would sport around school, something I was eternally jealous of and remain so. Anyway, I think you are going to love what he has to say on today's show. So before we get to it, a few notes. There is some mic static in Jay's recording. Uh, he is a timeless performer, as I said, not a microphone technician, so dial it down. Just let the little crackle noise glide over you like a cool summer breeze. Or lean in, double down, and pretend you are on the set of Tron. You have options. You can choose A or B. And also, with Jay, I talk a lot about the theater in this episode. I understand this is not a theater podcast per se, but you cannot separate Jay's career from the evolution of his queerness, as you will hear very soon. Plus, you get to live vicariously through his stairway to stardom, if I can borrow a phrase. So enjoy that, because girl knows how to name drop. I'm just kidding. Okie doke. So without any further ado, please sink your teeth into my conversation with the sparkling and truly effervescent Jay Magis. You made me quick. Like the only reason why I'm like, I'm pretty sure I had it was because everyone I worked with had it. Because you took down your because... entire Broadway production. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually wasn't the first person to get sick, yeah. but it was just like, I was like, whatever. But it's perfect because, and I don't, I haven't seen the musical, but I've seen the film somewhere between two and 300 times. And in that, the disease that begins to eat Nicole Kidman inside out, it transitions very smoothly to COVID, I would say. I mean... You know, pneumonia is one of the things, Okay. Uh, you know, one of the symptoms. And I actually had my like sateen moment because when you have like walking pneumonia, you put, sometimes cough up a little blood. <gasps> <laughs> and I had like, How scary. like it wasn't like in the show, <laughs> like, like in the ah. show, she's like, <laughs> or in the movie and there's like blood, you know what I mean? Yeah. But there was just like little specks of blood, like red in my phlegm. Like, you know, when you're like coughing, yes. this is a little too much info. But, you know, like yeah, yeah. I was com my energy was completely depleted. Like even when I went back to the show the next week, like anytime I wasn't on stage, I was literally just like leaning over, like hunched over, like trying to catch my breath. Like on a settee in the back. It was it was it was crazy. Yeah. But I coughed up blood. <laughs> I mean, it's a great story now. It'll be an even better story when you're back on Broadway or wherever. But right. holy shit, in that moment, because anytime I've seen that visual, it's in a movie where someone is about to die because of their sins. <laughs> it's like, you're a whore and you're going to die from it. Yeah, but you're going to die beautifully. Uh, well, you know? I'll take it. I'm like, I'll take that <laughs> if I have to. If I got to go, I may as well die. But like, you know, but it was, it was definitely... I mean, it's true. And I have some friends, too, who have had it. I have actually have one friend who's had it twice, yeah. which sucks. And one of my friends, his symptoms changed as COVID progressed. Oh, really? Sometimes he can taste, sometimes he can't. If that part happens, like if I can't enjoy food, that's when I'm like, do I just bite the cyanide capsule now? <laughs> give it one more day? I mean... <laughs> I'm so the opposite. I'm like, I love food, but I'm like, I can do without it. You know, like, I'm like, just as long as I feel like I 
have a, I have enough energy to do the things. Yes. I'm not like, you know, other than fried chicken. Please. But, but that's, that's all texture anyway. You can still enjoy it. That's all texture. <laughs> but since you're home, and I'm glad you're home because I, from what I know, you're pretty tight with your family. Uh, are you getting some, some good eats? Yes. I mean, well, that's why, I mean, I messaged you earlier and I was like, I need to eat. Um, but because I have to make my own food now because I'm, I'm, we're 10 months, 11 months in and we're like 15 pounds over. <laughs> you know fine. what I mean? That's barely a pound a month. But if I was just like continuing in the path and it's like nobody shame to me or to anyone, but it's like, I won't be able to fit my costumes when we go back. Right. You know, like I had a moment, I had a scary moment. Um, and this isn't just like, you know, a drop, but like when we did the Vogue shoot, <laughs> uh, we found out like two weeks before. And did everyone just like, no body shaming, but I'm assuming everyone just stopped eating. Everyone for the most part was fine. But because when I'm in like off show mode, I'm like completely off show mode. And it's not like I'm just like going to town, but it's like, I'm not worrying about everything. I'm not as active as I usually am. I had already strategically planned like when the like cutoff was for when I had to start like it's like two months before we start rehearsals. So then I like, you know, I'm I'm like gearing for rehearsals, gearing up. And then in rehearsals is like, you know, it's just like it builds, it builds and you build the stamina until you're like show ready. Um, but they called me like the month before I was supposed to start um, my like pre rehearsal regimen and they were like uh you're doing your shoot in two weeks and I literally went into like it wasn't it was not as healthy as I, I like to be but it was like juicing you know no solid food oh no really yeah yeah for two weeks oh and I literally when I got there like I was like messaging with one of the uh costume design associates and I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. Like, you guys, Vogue better pull some really cute corsets for me. Because <laughs> if I have to wear my costume, it might not work, no. you know? You're like the woman in Requiem for a Dream <laughs> when she just does all the ephedrine so hard to be on TV. <laughs> Jay, it's not worth it. I know. But I was, like, literally feeling as crazy as her. And when we went in and I was just like, you know, I mean, I flew in and I was just like, hi. Because I'm like, I haven't had a solid meal in two weeks <laughs> and I'm just like saying hi to everyone and seeing everyone for like the first time in eight months and when we went into when we did costumes it was like there was that moment where my corset was being because they're all like zipped they're not tied okay and my corset was being zipped and they were like zip and then it was like a little tight and they went bloop and then it did up and I was like <gasps> oh and the design associate was like, you got this, girl. Because, <laughs> of course, everyone knew exactly what you were thinking. Like, you know, as soon as I got there, they were like, how is everyone? And I was just like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm hungry. And like, <laughs> and they literally had just like a huge spread of like all of this food. So like, as soon as we like, as soon as they got me into as soon, as soon as they got me in the crackers. costume, I was like, Ooh, awesome. like, it was delicious. But I was just like. Yeah, give me a piece of that bread. Yeah, especially when you're in, you know, a show with like a very specific costume or specific like physical track. Yeah. 
you have, I mean, you see people like Janet Jackson, like when you are on tour, you're just a beast. Yeah. And when you're not, you're like, that's a lot of work. And now I don't have to maintain that standard. And so I'm going to eat fried chicken for three meals a day. And God love you for it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's I like, do. hey, that Popeye's chicken sandwich is delicious. Yes, it tastes good. <laughs> I know. And now we're all in a frozen world yeah. where there's nothing to dress up for. Nothing. And everything has an elastic waist. Yeah. Now, listen, I could, I've could. i got a whole lot more uh, pandy talk we can do. Yeah, but let's get to the nitty gritty. But maybe it's the perfect metaphor for what we're here to talk about, which is that sometimes something is in the air and people don't know what it is. And then the next thing you know, you have caught something be it COVID or queerness. <laughs> and as children in the 80s, science had not progressed to where it is now. And we didn't know what was making people queer, like, you know, beautiful little magical children like us who yeah. were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or the right place. Or the right place at the right time. Holla. I am here to give you an opportunity once and for all to set the record straight. So Jay Magis, who and or what made you queer. It's so funny that you mentioned that. And when you asked me to do this podcast, I was like, I don't remember a time when I wasn't. <laughs> Dude, like, I don't know if anyone has ever said that answer, but I was just like, as far as my memory can go back, I've always felt like it's it's a weird thing to to kind of have, I don't think it's like the foresight, but just to feel so comfortable in that queerness. You know what I mean? Like, I remember as a kid being like two and like running around and asking my mom to put my hair in like pigtails. Like, yes. it would just be like two like that. Did you have long hair? No, it was like, okay. we used to call it like fountain head because it was so short. That it just looks like a little, like, fountain. Yeah. But, like, I would ask for that. Or, like, uh, there were times, like, my mom, you know, in the 80s had the typical short perm do. As one does. As as soon as I could speak, that ended. And I was like, you need long hair so I can play with it. And so I can do your hair. <laughs> so you were already, like, producing her look. I was already, like, curating everything. Um, I, you know, like, I would always ask to have, like, my shirts cropped. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in, like, pink spandex shorts. Like, all, all the toys that I wanted when I was literally, like, two or three were was like Barbie's My Little Pony. And this was where? Where where did you grow up? Toronto. Right, in Scarborough, right? We moved to Scarborough in, I was five. Okay, so still pretty young. But this is funny because you were the first person, and if you're not in on the joke, folks, we're doing, <laughs> you know, to say who made you queer, we're sending ourselves up a little bit. But you're the first person to not be like, oh, it was this or it was that. Really? There was nothing to reach you because... You you just were there from day one. I mean, it, it it is one of those weird things where I'm just like, like I was always just, I mean, I was talking about it with my like mom and my um and my aunt earlier today. And they have like this term in Filipino called OA, mm -hmm. but it's literally means overacting. <laughs> and it's like. Like a bit extra. Extra. Like, and I've always been, I it's like always been my nature. Anytime I talk about like my youth, it's usually about like singing or performing and all of that stuff. But I feel like a lot of that kind of goes like one with the other. Like it's very interwoven in terms of like artistically um, expressive and creative, you know. But I definitely, I mean, like if I were to say 
if there was like a, a moment, like they used to say when I was a kid, uh, or not even a kid, when my mom was pregnant, that my brother would like, I can't even remember if it was a song or if it was just like music, and he would put like a speaker on her stomach, and I would like inside start like moving around just doing the little like pop and lock choreography just literally doing just like my dance and then when the music would be like taken away I would like stop and it was literally like me <laughs> like I literally came out into the world into a full split into into it but just like loving the arts and loving to dance and loving to like I sang before I I could speak like there's like not videos, cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> there is this beautiful film strip because we are you know hundred I mean? years old of, of me singing. But it, like as far as I can remember, like I used to do whenever Mariah Carey had her first album. Oh I used to make my family. Um, it's sometime in the nineties, but like sit and watch me do like interpretive dance solos. <laughs> like and I never, I I didn't take dance classes, but I would like literally full on do it on the like the rug in the living room <laughs> but it, it's just like I've always been very in tune with expressing myself and very like true but also which is amazing but it also sounds like from day one your family was pretty supportive I mean yes and no because they're they're still like Filipino Catholics right but it's like you know like even when I talk when I'll say like you basically let me do whatever I want like I, I I got all the toys I wanted when I was a kid like there was never like you can't play with that it wasn't necessarily their favorite thing yeah but they wouldn't say no I still got my Barbie with like the the skirt that was also like a little drawstring bag mm, for... a bit of a cute moment do you know what I mean but like I was Probably two or three. Yes. They were on board. So I'm going to float and yeah. hear me out because this show is about blame. Uh -huh. I'm going to float an opinion that you may yay or you may nay. Okay. It sounds like your family made you queer because they <laughs> they encouraged your behavior. They're like <laughs> enablers from day one. That's right. That's right. They bought you that drawstring purse, boy. I mean, if somebody was on, had to be on trial... You would probably be right because, yeah. you know, and and thankfully so. Oh, thank you know, God. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely a, a process and a journey, you know, but um, at the end of the day, it's like, are you happy? Are you safe? Are you, you know, are you doing what you want? And then, like, there, there are other things that I feel like are more, there's more pressure to kind of, you know, guide or control. Like, I had to go to school, like, to college. That's why we met, because my parents forced me right. to, like, I, there was, like, no other option. You couldn't just go into a singing career. It was like, you need an education. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like, I, you know, conned them into saying that I could become a teacher. Um, <laughs> with, with your Sheridan degree? With my Sheridan diploma. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was one of those things where I guess there are more important things, mm -hmm. even if it's some things are like viewed as taboo or like not right or, or you know, I mean, all those things. But at the end of the day, it's like, what you going to do? What you going to do? And I think it's so cool because I've known you for about 20 years now mm. and watching the way, which is crazy, <laughs> God forbid, watching the way your career has progressed and changed and 
you've had a, a lot of success specifically over the past few years. And a lot of that has been in roles and opportunities, I think, that like let you grow in your queerness in them. Yeah. And celebrate and represent and and really just, um, you know, uh, one of the funny things is that like I went to school for like training and all of that stuff. But like it was there where I probably felt the most um, like stifled. Yeah. And and and, you know, there's that whole like theater school mantra of like breaking you down and building you up to be like whatever. And it, and in some like areas and in some sense, it, it it's right. And, you know, in, in terms of like vocal technique or dance technique or so, but it's like I think. When I went to uh, Sheridan, you know, shout out but and not to blame them, but there was a little bit of, you know, it was definitely a, a period of time where they were like, you can't be this. You can't do that. Lower your voice. Act taller. Act straighter. Like, you know what I mean? All those things that are like, they're like, and it's all, and I get it because they're supposed to like churn out performers who like follow a mold, but it's like, how can you literally take this, like, you know, at the time, Vidal Sassoon, asymmetrical mullet, short, Filipino, alto. Oh, I was like <laughs> nodding until you said alto. And it was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> at your, your sickest, lowest day, you were a mezzo. How dare you? Uh, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? But but then and, and say you have to do all these things so that you're like hireable. Yeah. So there was a moment of time after and being released into the world where it was just like i have no no place in 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 certain like casting rooms or mm -hmm. um for up for and, and and that's a big thing um and they don't necessarily always guide you into like your lane um in schools because they you you know you should be able to do everything but it's like when you lose that kind of like focus of of what you are you kind of get lost in in just the noise of it all and i think too people when people think about theater school they might if you haven't gone to theater school you might think oh it's such like a queer positive place and very accepting and artsy but especially in music theater yeah i mean which has changed drastically even in the past 10 years but it was like ballet or kind of like a fine art where like there was a very classical canon. Yeah. And we were doing Oklahoma where like men are cowboys or sailors. And that's and so like if you were quote unquote straight acting, that was kind of like the golden ticket to reach for. Or especially if like if you as a person of color, they're like, hmm, there's four musicals you can be in. It, well, and that's the thing. Yeah. Like, you know, going there, they were like, okay. Like, I remember, oh my gosh, <laughs> when we had um, musical theater rap class and they'd be like, to learn songs. Yes. And it's like, why am I singing, you're the cream in my coffee? <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. why? I, because I'm brown. You know what I mean? So, but it, it's one of those things where you're like. There wasn't a lot of imagination. They're like, oh, you can be in Rent. Like, that's the only thing. Or, or, or because I'm of color. Yeah. You can, you can just like do whatever. But it's also like, they don't necessarily, I mean. Musical theater is my life. It has been for a, a hot minute um, slash like mm -hmm. more than half of my life. But it's like it is a very white capitalist mm. uh, <laughs> just like all those things. Um, 
industry. So, and it's slowly being kind of, you know, dismantled. However, in, in it just being that innately, they're not going to focus on the shows. Like my first big gig in the States was La Cage, right. you know? Yeah. And, and, and when I booked it, I was auditioning for Rent because that's what I should be auditioning for. <laughs> Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah, like the two shows. Yeah, so I'm like, but but also it wasn't even a show that was on my radar. Ah. Like I, I wasn't like, oh yeah, this, like you know how you, they're usually like, know the shows that you you sh- whatever but it's like and and you know part of it is on me but i also we didn't really know about that show when we were in from what i remember at sheridan and and i think they really there was a really for a very queer faculty and student body i mean people know there's like a drag mainstream revolution right now but drag was still hugely stigmatized at theater school yeah and even for me like i remember when i got that show because there are drag queens in the show that i you know i played jacob but i was also like how come I didn't know that this perfect role for me existed? Do you know what I mean? Was that like the Hank Azaria houseboy? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Amazing. Like Daisy Dukes and like, but, and that's the thing. Like when I, when I auditioned for it and they were like, who are you? Like, you know what I mean? And I was just like, yeah, it was one of those moments where I was like, this, it, this is an indication that maybe there's a chance for me. Oh, my God. Because up until then, up until then, it was just like, you know, and I had I had had moments um, like I had the whole like glee thing that kind of, you know, that that put me in the realm. But it was still like, can, can you explain what that is? The whole glee thing for you oh. know, I know what you're talking about, <laughs> but others don't. <laughs> right. I'm like, we're just chan. Um, so I auditioned um, and was not allowed to because, you know, I'm Canadian and auditioned, uh, tried to audition for Glee because they were doing this like online submission. This was like how, how 10, 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I obviously couldn't audition. So I just like uploaded the video to YouTube and I shot it with my cousin, Maya, shout out. And um, we just like sent it to people and she sent it to Perez Hilton, you know, who was like, the biggest thing in terms of like celebrity buzz at the time. Mm-hmm. And she just like titled it gaze for glee <laughs> and the link. And uh, the next day he, he like tweeted the video and it was like on his blog, just as like as a tweet, it was, he didn't even write anything about it. And yeah, it got like maybe like 20,000 views in, in, in that one day viral. And, uh, and like in the same day, like all of these, Know, online publications like Broadway World, Broadway.com, like Advocate Magazine, Toronto Life. Like it, they were all just like writing about this like random video. Yes. And uh, but yeah, but that's basically what kind of got casting directors attention in the States. Yeah. But that was kind of like a very pivotal moment in terms of like moving into the the world of of theater but like in an authentic way totally and and it being like okay this is what i represent this is what i want to do this is these are the kind of roles i want you know i'm not trying to be your like random ensemble not and not that ensemble work because i'm you know i'm an ensemble member in uh moulin rouge 
but it's like it's more specific mm-hmm. and it's more to like who I am and what I'm capable of and what yeah. I have to provide a show yeah. and you know the first audition I got was for bring it on oh the musical for the bring it on the musical um because there is I'm not sure how they identify in the show but it's the, at the time they're like it's like a drag character but it it's been 10 years so I can't remember exactly um the the character description sure but her name is La Cienega and they were and, and they were like it's you know just uh, it, she's she um and um and yeah, they brought me in for it because they were like, you kind of have that like energy. Love it. Um, and then I got, you know, got uh, didn't make like made it to the finals of that. And then um, it was when I was auditioning for Rent. Yeah. Because you know, if you're colored and and queer, you audition for Rent. Um, That's right. <laughs> so it's That's like. Right. <laughs> I still remember you. I think we were on the mega bus together one time. Oh my gosh, we you were. were going down overnight. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh my god, Jake," because you were going to just crash an open call. Well, because I mean, at the time, I was just like, "Canada isn't 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 doing it for me," and they're not like yeah. doing like it's hard when you're like auditioning for roles or just parts or for shows like regional white christmas a hundred percent and and like having to fight for that part props to those people but having but having to do that you know like i remember when i did the movie servitude i also booked white christmas in winnipeg (laughs) which is like the what excuse me for saying so the whitest (laughs) version of white christmas when i went to audition (laughs) they were like uh you know this is white christmas right and I was like, yeah, but I'll, but also, you know, I, I booked it. I didn't end up doing it. What part did they offer you? It was, it was an ensemble role. Don't waste my time. It was in the ensemble. And I was just like, I just, but I just wanted work. You know what I yeah. mean? But yeah. then little did I know that a casting director had seen me in Alter Boys. Yes. Again, yes. playing a very kind of like, you know, I played Mark in that show. And a very important distinction, this is Alter Boys spelled with a Z or a Z for our American listeners. You know, Alter Boys. Boys. And and she was like, you need to be in this movie that I'm casting. That happened. Um, Alter Boys. Ha- it was all in that year. It was all like 10 years ago. It was all 2010 where like all of these things happened where it was just like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I want. And it was really like a, a defining moment of like saying what I want to do and and not just feeling like I'm um, I'm up for anything. You know, in some cases I am up for anything, mm-hmm. but in my career, mm-hmm. no, I want it to be very, you know, I want it to be truthful to who I am, what I want to represent and what I want to showcase. And whether that be in terms of like, community or um you know like ethnicity or just like stories that i feel are important to to tell yeah and i've just been really fortunate that i i was able to kind of like go in that lane you know we talk about like drag being like so kind of like taboo at sheridan but for my broadway debut to be as a drag queen, yeah, you know, <laughs> after, after, and, and nothing to like 
you know, say like they shouldn't have, but it's just like they didn't say it was a it wasn't a possibility back then. That's right. You know, yeah. like the world has as obviously as we mentioned it, like earlier, it's very different times. Like it, it's like a completely different scenario just because of of projects that are available. Like yeah, I remember I I have a friend from New York. And I ran into him just like walking around New York because it's, you know, a very New York thing. You're just like walking to people that, you know, and um, he was like, I was actually thinking about you the other day. And I'm like, really? Why? And, and you know, a little nervous, but also just like flattered. <laughs> and um, and he was like, I coach kids for their like college uh, like auditions. And I was asking, he's like, I always ask the kids who I work with, like if there are any people whose like careers or things that they do or and all of that stuff. And if, if there's anyone out there who's working that inspires them. And he was like, I kid you not. And he's like, and it's so random because it's like this American kid from Texas. Um, he's like, and he literally said your name. <gasps> what did he know you from? I think it, this was like in between Boston, like the Moulin Rouge, what's it called? The Moulin Rouge out of town and Broadway that I that I saw him. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, he was just like, there's this actor, Jay Magis. And, and my friend was like, he's my friend. <laughs> We've oh, worked amazing. together. Like, you know, and it and just to have that, because like, yeah. you know, when I was in college, I don't think I had anybody like even going in, like I feel like I've always kind of been like in, in the States, it's very different. Like there are older Asian actors or even just like and I don't even know if this if this student or this person like what ethnicity they were, but they were just like, you know, I, I've had so many people, not so many, but I've had a, a, a few um, people like reach out to me on on Instagram and just to be like, thank you for the representation. Thank you for, you know, and it's just like, I'm just honored to work. Yeah. And that's so important. Yeah. And that's, it's interesting because you're totally right. And I mean, I, I came into Sheridan very different than you were. Like I was raised in a different way, but the fact that you talk about, it sounds like the, I'm sure there was different things like cultural things or whatever, a bit of resistance maybe from your family in some ways to the person you were growing up to be. Mm -hmm. But to go to sound out to be so fully formed and so self-assured and then to hear that strangely enough music theater school as it was for me ended up actually being something that I kind of had to come out again in a few different ways because like theater school it's not taboo to be queer yeah I mean spoiler sorry mom everyone's kissing everyone <laughs> but it's the thing where it's like it's a very there's a very small little narrow spectrum of queerness that is permitted especially yeah. because that's yeah. what the art form requested at the time yeah but now to think about it and like to see you come out the other side and be like oh actually that is like the effect it's having on other people and like the the strength it gave to your career it's so badass well and because it's you know it, you went through that at Sheridan but I went through that at ESA oh. because I went to a performing arts high school where it was just like right. you know I would have had a completely different trajectory into either like I don't even think I I probably wouldn't even go to Sheridan if I hadn't gone to ESA yeah you know so it was one of those things where because I thought I wanted to be a doctor <laughs> like oh, no. but, you know but it was it was definitely one of those things where um you have the same thing where it's like you go to a school and, and and because it's just like you're able to have that kind of like expression or that kind uh 
like you're you're always you're doing that exploration and it's like you're like literally 14 to 18 oh my god five years of high school back then remember that where you're just like you're i i literally had all of that kind of experience and then it, it kind of like it definitely was like a gradual build to sheridan but I've, I, I think that's even why, like, going to Sheridan, I was, it was, like, hard for me to kind of have that, like, that kind of build to, like, finding myself, finding myself, and then kind of get there and, and have it kind of, like, taper off and be like, no, you can't have your hair like that. I'd be like, but I love my, you know, yeah, all those things. Like, and they're like, for a show, you know, like, yeah. like, you know, like, your hair has to be as, like, malleable as as you are as an actor yes you're a canvas do you know what i mean and then now i'm like working as a professional and they're like oh you don't have the hair here's a wig like it's it's just like yeah and it's one of those things where you're like oh and you know advancement in technology and and things make it a lot easier probably than like the hard fronts of the 90s but it's just like it's one of those things where it's just like Time definitely has helped so much in terms of of just all of that. I remember when I performed um, Here Lies Love in Seattle. Mm-hmm. The Imelda Marcos musical. Yeah. Yeah, by David Byrne, right? Yes, yeah. Oh, so good. And we literally, I, in that show, it was the first show that I auditioned for where I was like, it was not my hit. Like, I wasn't going singing, you know, like Whitney Houston or like some like pop, other pop diva. I wasn't going in as like drag queen or like any of those like typical, like that, like the roles that I usually go in Mm -hmm. for. And it was for the general of the army. And I was like, I'm like, but you know. I can do this. I, I'm like, I'm an actor. I can do anything. Yeah. And I went in. I booked it. And it was funny because when I first did my my first audition, I fully did the Sheridan lower my voice. And I was like, you know, one, two, three, four. And like, you know, <laughs> and like, and I was like, hello. And, and but even like, that's supposed to be where my voice is. But like, it never. Your optimal pitch. You know what I mean? My optimal pitch, but it doesn't really stay there. Yeah. And then I like went yeah. optimal and even lower. And when they first heard me like in my normal, like everyday voice, they were like, in the audition, they were like, what? And I like screwed up something. Uh-huh. But I was like, can I please start again? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But then when I got the part, um, sorry, long story short, I ended up being in this pageant scene where I win the pageant. And I'm like in this gorgeous gown and I have like a wig on. And I was like, uh-huh. I did. This wasn't even part of like the casting. Like I had no idea. And then just the track that I played because I went they had been developing the show for a few years before we did the premiere at the public, and I was in that cast. Um, yeah. But because I was that part, when I was in Seattle, this lady came up to me, and they had this like, because Seattle has a very large Filipino community, so they would do all these kind of like outreach things with the community. Oh, cool. Okay. And there was this woman came up to me, and she was like, "I wanted you to meet somebody. I'm their aunt." And they're just so you really stood out to them. And I was like, you know, like, hi. And I think they were like maybe 
six or seven. Oh, wow. But wearing, like, the traditional, like, Filipino formal shirt, it's, like, a very kind of, like, thin shirt with, like, intricate kind of, like, lace detailing. It's called a barong. Mm -hmm. And they were wearing it, like, cinched with, like, this belt. You're like, I've seen this look before, this silhouette. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, like, and and I had no idea, like, how they identified at that point. Uh Uh-huh. But it, it, the aunt kept saying, like, they, but also just, like, pronoun, like, their name. I can't remember their name right now, which is why I'm just saying they. Okay, yeah. And the aunt was like, you know, uh, they really wanted to meet you. And I was like, hi, how are you? You know? And they're like, I'm good. Like, in their, like, oh. baby voice. And I was just like, you are the cutest thing ever. Yeah, but you stood out to them. Like, that representation, even when they were that young, really mattered. Yeah, and I was just like, huh? And the aunt was like, can you tell Jay more about you? Like, are you? And it was like, I I was like, what are you getting at? Like, you know what I mean? Because it was it was like at this huge function. (laughs) And I was just like, you know, yeah, you're fierce. Uh Like, cool. And and the aunt was like, (laughs) you know, are you a boy? Are you a girl? And then I was like, oh, you know what I mean? I know I'm here. And they were like, both. And I was literally like. You're and they were six or seven, maybe like probably like six or se- yeah, seven. I want to say max seven, but they were like both. Love and, it. And the aunt was just like smiling, and I was like, "You are legendary." I was like, "You are to 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 know to be to have that comfort." And the aunt was like, "You know." It's it's obvious. It's been a, a journey with their parents, and you know they've taught us so much about about everything. But you know, it's it's just one of those things where you know exposure and kind of allowance in society and in the world and all of that. You know, where it isn't something that is regarded or looked at in a negative way. Um, you're allowed to express it, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's such a cool, it's such a, just a cool time. It's such a cool time, yeah. I mean, it's very difficult because you, you're still dealing with so many generational blocks. But, you know, as time goes on, the acceptance and the majority of people that are for the change or who want to enact it, it's like, it, it just they become the majority yeah it's so amazing to see that clarity and that confidence in people who are so young because yeah. they did not have that no and to and i'm constantly learning from that younger generation where it's like like they're the ones teaching us about different identities and why we should stop using outdated terms and things like that and just ways to free up yeah all the binaries yeah. that we grew up with because it's hard to do but it's so great it is it it is one of those things where it's just like you just are able like as much you know as free as you feel you're able to even be freer because it's like you don't have the hang-ups or you don't have those kind of like societal just like boundaries or 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 just those like things where like that's that isn't right. Yeah. And even as someone me who's 37 now, part of the reason why I wanted to do this show is it's fun for me to make fun of these ideas that things make us queer or that whatever, you know, because there's still such a, a misunderstanding and belief about that. Yeah. But also because it just feels good for me to talk about 
my queerness in an open, comfortable way. But it's just like the experiences, the and just like the differences. You know, so many people have their everybody's journey is personal, and whether it's like they discovered it, some people have no idea or don't even think about it because they're potentially in an environment where it wasn't even they weren't exposed to it. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And it could be just like, oh, I thought I just like, I don't know. And then and then you're you're, you're in a situation where you're like, no, oh, this is what this is. Yeah. I mean, I love that you're doing this because, I, you know, I'm excited to hear the different things. I mean, it, I feel like a lot of people would be like, I saw this or like I, yeah. you yeah. know, like it was this person who kind of like brought that feeling so it's exciting yeah it's so many things and like you know what leads to your awakening but on on that note because i could truly talk to you forever (laughs) because i also haven't seen you in a hundred years i know i am going to ask you to play a game do you want to play game jay i love playing games fantastic (laughs) Uh, i do not need you in your optimal pitch for this game i'd like you to explore any range of your voice that feels comfortable for you For this game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerest. Okay. So I'm going to give you three things. I want you to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay. Super easy. Any questions? No. Okay. Thing number one, perfume or cologne samples in magazines. You know when they have that like folded over page mm-hmm. in like the big Vogue or something? Yeah. 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 You know well. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> number two, mystery solving teens. So we've got like a Nancy Drew or like the humans on Scooby-Doo, the Hardy Boy situation. Okay. Teen solving mysteries. Okay. Number three, vanity plates. Customized license plates. Oh my gosh. Least queer to most queer and why? I mean, I feel like, um, I feel like uh, vanity plates might be the least for me. I feel like it's just like, you know, because it's vanity plates, I feel like are just whether you can want to pay to have like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you want to pay to just not have your government issued license plate and you want to be like, you know, like I have um, like there are people in my family who have their something that like represents their daughters or it's like, you know what I mean? Like something like that. So I I don't, it doesn't register to me. Right. As uh, so, I would say that's the least. And can I quickly jump in? I remember I had a teacher in grade school who told us the story. I was like eight or nine, and she, her husband, bought her a vanity plate, and he was so excited. And it said "classy lady," <laughs> but it was spelled C L C L D Y. And she said, "Children, neighborhood children, she had never met would run up to her, and they're like, <laughs> you 'You're the cluck lady. Do you have fried chicken?'" It happened so much that she made him return the plates and get the government and, issued and back. And you know what's funny that you're talking about that is that the movie I was in, Servitude, part of the movie is is like vanity plates. <gasps> and it's like the kind of like macho guy who's getting like these vanity plates. Oh, so it is least queer. So that's for me, it would be the least. I dig it. Um, metal would be, would for me, would be teen mysteries. Okay, tell me why. Um, Because it's still like... It's still very, I feel like, I mean, now they're, they kind of go into explore, like, you know, with like the Sabrinas and all of that, like they kind of use overtly kind of um, 
either like queer sometimes it's stories but they just like like to have that that kind of like tension uh-huh. there and they like use it but it's still very heteronormative like it's still like a boy and a girl it's always like it's you know what i mean those are always like the main yeah and i feel like you always have like in in those stories most of the time it's very heteronormative i believe although it's the middle because you also in those like I kind of shows and movies you get you get kind of very iconic kind of like moments that become part of like queer culture may I point your attention to exhibit a Velma and Scooby-Doo <laughs> exactly <laughs> but do you know what I mean yes I mean no I don't know how she identifies but yes but you have you, you you're introduced yeah to kind of that like because you have like when you have those like t- like mystery um kind of like movies or or shows you have like this kind of like gang of like varied personalities so you'll have like you know someone who's like the guy who has like the scarf and you know what I mean like all those things where where because they have to kind of like get together and solve it together so you're like introduced but it's still very like boy girl main situation that's true it was always an even number of boys and girls cis boys and girls yeah but and even if there are characters like a velma who you would be like oh she's you know whatever you think she'd identify as it's it's never like a plot line or a storyline it's just like that's her personality you know what i mean and (laughs) she doesn't have a boyfriend (laughs) yeah she's just like she'd rather study (laughs) like you know what i mean and then i feel like the perfume samples the most only because it is like it's body language that frees you into into like a more queer sensibilities because you know it's like this rubbing action (laughs) (laughs) you have to jay just rubbed his wrists (laughs) but it's like you you get that you get a non kind of like heteronormative like positioning i don't know if if that if that makes sense you have to kind of like bend your wrist in a bit of like with your pinky out yeah you bend the wrist jam it against that yeah and it's like you because you can't do that i mean it's it's like a very but it's also like it's so i mean it brings you it's like a very nostalgic thing like you're you have to be of a certain age and it's usually from like middle school to uh, or like elementary school to middle school where you're yeah. like maybe not like investing money in fragrances <laughs> like you know what i mean yes. i do um, know what you mean yeah but like wanting to partake in that kind of in that world of like you know senses and smells mm-hmm. um and beyond that that advertising because you're always going to get whether you're either want to smell like a very floral like lady perfume, but then if you're going for the cologne, yeah. it's like half naked men. I were well, right. <laughs> like the, the, I do know very well. I think <laughs> I remember most vividly the cool water campaign from the nineties. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, sir, are you drowning in that water? Do you need me to come in to rescue you? <laughs> so that would be the most for me. I have no complaints, no edits. <laughs> uh, and congratulations, you win. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Finally, the accolades you deserve. <laughs> so thank you so much. It was Aww. so nice to catch up with you again. Me because too. I've known you for so thank long. Thank you for having me. I know. There's no one else I wanted here. Oh. Everyone else is just filler. <laughs> just kidding. So before I let you go, is there anything else you want to plug? Not yet. 
<laughs> Plug-in pending. Okay, maybe any social media handles people can follow to get the dirt. Yeah, you can find me. It's usually just J Magus. Uh, J E I G H M A D J U S. Um, I think that's on Instagram. I'm rarely on Twitter. If I, if I'm ever on Twitter, it's like one of those like you're in a mood. Yes. He is frequently on LinkedIn. (laughs) Find me on LinkedIn for, you know, you can find out all the businesses I've uh, I've worked with in various levels. Um, But other than that, I mean, I would plug my show um, because it it will return at some point. But, you know, that's all pandemic pandy pending. Pandy pending, (laughs) post pandy pending. And and peeps for real, like, please go see Moulin Rouge on Broadway. And when it comes back, Jay plays Baby Doll, one of the the quartet who sing Lady Frickin' Marmalade. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. (sighs) I'm excited to go um, to go back. Mm -hmm. It's it's a little scary thinking about it, especially having like this will be the longest break. But I'm I'm so pumped to um, to be back there with everybody at the show and to just, you know, continue to represent don't stop now counting on you (laughs) okay so hang in there and keep us posted and stay safe thank you bye bye okay and that is our show you may be wondering why jay said not yet as far as what he wanted to plug interesting what a cliffhanger perhaps you better stay posted because a little bird told me it's exciting Anyway, that is our show. Just a reminder, we are always accepting mail at youmademequeer at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. We are currently only accepting five, and in very rare cases, four star ratings. But if you give us four stars, you will be contacted by my uh, attorneys and lawyers just to sort of go over the details. If you are planning on rating this podcast anything less than a four... Uh, Keep walking, a-hole. How about that? Okay, we will be back next Thursday with more red-hot queer blame. But for now, cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created, produced, and edited by me, Trevor Campbell. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of our music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram handle is at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every Thursday, so jump for our love. And from the bottom of my big, bent heart, thank you for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.